Chapter 16 of Emily Bronte by Agnes Mary Francis Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Shirley. While Wuthering Heights was still in the reviewer's hands, Emily Bronte's more fortunate sister was busy on another novel. This book has never attained the steady success of her masterpiece, Villette neither did it meet with the furor which greeted the first appearance of jane eyre it is indeed inferior to either work a very quiet study of yorkshire life almost pettifogging in its interest in ecclesiastical squabbles almost absurd in the feminine inadequacy of its heroes and yet surely has a grace and beauty of its own this it derives from the charms of its heroines caroline helston a lovely portrait in character of Charlotte's dearest friend, and surely herself a fancy likeness of Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte, but under very different conditions, no longer poor, no longer thwarted, no longer acquainted with misery and menaced by untimely death. Not thus, but as a loving sister would fain have seen her, beautiful, triumphant, the spoiled child of happy fortune yet in these altered circumstances surely keeps her likeness to charlotte's hard-working sister the disguise happily baffling those who like mrs gaskell have not a pleasant impression of emily bronte is very easily penetrated by those who love her under the pathetic finery so lovingly bestowed under the borrowed splendors of a thousand a year a lovely face an ancestral manor-house we recognize our hardy and headstrong heroine and smile a little sadly at the inefficiency of this masquerade of grandeur so indifferent and unnecessary to her we recognize charlotte's sister but not the author of wuthering heights through these years we discern the brilliant heiress to be a person of infinitely inferior importance to the ill-dressed and overworked vicar's daughter imperial surely no need to wave your majestic wand we have bowed to it long ago unblinded and all its elusive splendours are not so potent as that worn-down goose-quill which you used to wield in the busy kitchen of your father's parsonage yet without that admirable portrait we should have scant warrant for our conception of emily bronte's character her work is singularly impersonal you gather from it that she loved the moors that from her youth up the burden of a tragic fancy had lain hard upon her, that she had seen the face of sorrow close, meeting that Medusa glance with rigid and defiant fortitude. So much we learn, but this is very little, a one-sided truth and therefore scarcely a truth at all. Charlotte's portrait gives us another view, and fortunately there are still a few alive of the not numerous friends of Emily Bronte every trait every reminiscence paints in darker clearer lines the impression of character which shirley leaves upon us shirley is indeed the exterior emily the emily that was to be met and known thirty-five years ago only a little polished with the angles a little smoothed by a sister's anxious care the nobler emily deeply suffering brooding pitying creating is only to be found in a stray word here and there a chance memory a happy answer gathered from the pages of her work and the loving remembrance of her friends 
but these remnants are so direct unusual personal and characteristic this outline is of so decided a type that it affects us more distinctly than many stippled and varnished portraits do but to know how emily bronte looked moved sat and spoke we still return to shirley a host of corroborating memories start up in turning the pages who but emily was always accompanied by a rather large strong and fierce-looking dog very ugly being of a breed between a mastiff and a bulldog it is familiar to us as una's lion we do not need to be told Curervel, that she always sat on the hearth-rug of nights with her hand on his head reading a book we remember well how necessary it was to secure him as an ally in winning her affection has not a dear friend informed us that she first obtained emily's heart by meeting without apparent fear or shrinking keepers huge springs of demonstrative welcome certainly captain keeldar with her cavalier airs her ready disdain her love of independence does bring back with vivid brilliance the memory of our old acquaintance the major we recognize that pallid slimness masking an elastic strength which seems impenetrable to fatigue and we sigh recalling a passage in anne's letters recording how when rheumatism coughs and influenza made an hospital of haworth vicarage during the visitations of the dread east wind emily alone looked on and wondered why any one should be ill she considers it a very uninteresting wind it does not affect her nervous system we know her too by her kindness to her inferiors a hundred little stories throng our minds unforgotten delicacies made with her own hands for her servant's friend yet remembered visits of martha's little cousin to the kitchen where miss emily would bring in her own share for the ailing girl anecdotes of her early rising through many years to do the hardest work because the first servant was too old and the second too young to get up so soon and she emily was so strong a hundred little sacrifices dearer to remembrance than shirley's open purse awaken in our hearts and remind us that after all emily was the nobler and more lovable heroine of the twain how characteristic too the touch that makes her scornful of all that is dominant dogmatic avowedly masculine in the men of her acquaintance and gentleness itself to the poetic philip nunley the gay boyish mr sweeting the sentimental louis the lame devoted boy cousin who loves her in pathetic canine fashion that courage too was hers not only shirley's flesh but emily's felt the tearing fangs of the mad dog to whom she had charitably offered food and water not only shirley's flesh but hers shrank from the light scarlet glowing tip of the italian iron with which she straightway cauterized the wound going quickly into the laundry and operating on herself without a word to any one emily also single-handed and unarmed punished her great bulldog for his household misdemeanors in defiance of an express warning not to strike the brute lest his uncertain temper should rouse him to fly at the striker's throat and it was she who fomented his bruises this prowess and tenderness of shirley's is an old story to us and shirley's love of picturesque and splendid raiment is not without an echo in our memories it was emily who shopping in bradford with charlotte and her friend 
chose a white stuff patterned with lilac thunder and lightning to the scarcely concealed horror of her more sober companions and she looked well in it a tall lithe creature with a grace half queenly half untamed in her sudden supple movements wearing with picturesque negligence her ample purple slashed skirts her face clear and pale her very dark and plenteous brown hair fastened up behind with a spanish comb her large grey hazel eyes now full of indolent indulgent humour now glimmering with hidden meanings now quickened into flame by a flash of indignation a red ray piercing the dew she too had shirley's taste for the management of business we remember charlotte's disquiet when emily insisted on investing miss branwell's legacies in york and midlands railway shares she managed in a most handsome and able manner for me when i was in brussels and prevented by distance from looking after our interests therefore i will let her manage still and take the consequences disinterested and energetic she certainly is and if she is not quite so tractable or open to conviction as i could wish i must remember perfection is not the lot of humanity and as long as we can regard those whom we love and to whom we are closely allied with profound and never shaken esteem it is a small thing that they should vex us occasionally by what appear to us headstrong and unreasonable notions so speaks the kind elder sister the author of shirley but there are some who will never love either type or portrait sidney dobell spoke a bitter half-truth when ignorant of shirley's real identity he declared we have only to imagine shirley keeldar poor to imagine her repulsive the silenced pride the thwarted generosity the unspoken power the contained passion of such a nature are not qualities which touch the world when it finds them in an obscure and homely woman even now very many will not love a heroine so independent of their esteem they will resent the frank imperiousness caring not to please the unyielding strength the absence of trivial submissive tendernesses for which she makes amends by such large humane and generous compassion in emily's nature says her sister the extremes of vigour and simplicity seem to meet under an unsophisticated culture in artificial taste and an unpretending outside lay a power and fire that might have informed the brain and kindled the veins of a hero but she had no worldly wisdom her powers were unadapted to the practical business of life she would fail to defend her most manifest rights to consult her legitimate advantage an interpreter ought always to have stood between her and the world her will was not very flexible and it generally opposed her interest her temper was magnanimous but warm and sudden her spirit altogether unbending so speaks emily's inspired interpreter whose genius has not made her sister popular shirley is not a favourite with a modern public emily bronte was born out of date athene leading the nymphs in their headlong chase down the rocky spurs of olympus and stopping in full career to lift in her arms the weanlings tender as dew or the chance hurt cubs of the mountain might have chosen her as her hunt-fellow or brunhilda the strong falkir dreading the love of man whose delight is battle and the wild summits of hills 
forfeiting her immortality to shield the helpless and the weak, she would have recognized the kinship of this last-born sister. But we moderns care not for these. Our heroines are Juliet, Desdemona, and Imogen. Our examples, Dorothea Brooke and Laura Pendennis, women whose charm is a certain fragrance of affection. Shirley is too independent for our taste, and for the rest we are all in love with Carolyn Hellstone. Disinterested, headstrong, noble Emily Bronte, at this time, while your magical sister was weaving for you with golden words, a web of fate as fortunate as dreams, the true Norns were spinning a paler shrouding garment. You were never to see the brightest things in life. Sisterly love, free solitude, unpraised creation were to remain your most poignant joys. No touch of love, no hint of fame, no hours of ease lie for you across the knees of fate. Neither rose nor laurel will be shed on your coffined form. Meanwhile, your sister writes and dreams for Shirley. Terrible difference between ideas and truth. Wonderful magic of the unreal to take their sting from the veritable wounds we endure. Neither rose nor laurel will we lay reverently for remembrance over the tomb where you sleep, but the flower that was always your own, the wild, dry heather. You who were, in your sister's phrase, moorish, wild, and knotty as a root of heath, you grew to your own perfection on the waste where no laurel rustles its polished leaves, where no sweet fragile rose ever opened in the heart of June. The storm and the winter darkness, the virgin earth, the blasting winds of March would have slain them utterly. But all these served to make the heather light and strong, to flush its bells with a ruddier purple, to fill its cells with honey more pungently sweet. The cold wind and the wild earth make the heather it would not grow in the sheltered meadows. And you, had you known the fate that love would have chosen, you too would not have thrived in your full bloom. Another happy, prosperous North Country matron would be dead. But now you live, still singing of freedom, the undying soul of courage and loneliness, another voice in the wind, another glory on the mountain tops, Emily Bronte, the author of Wuthering Heights. End of chapter 16